This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we invite Comprise CEO Kumar Goswami to talk about how their product is changing the way you think about data management. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. On the phone with me today, Andrew Sullivan. Hi, Andrew. Howdy. Sorry I'm not in the office. I uh, I think I got some crud from the other day when we had to share a microphone. Hey. Typhoid, Justin. I sprayed stuff on the microphone beforehand. I don't. Now I didn't tell you it was actually some sort of an, an, you know, some virus. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what you have. I just found a bottle on the road. Sprayed it <laughs> on the mic. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, thanks. No problem. Anytime. Um, so uh, today we're going to talk about uh, something called Comprise. And to give us an overview of Comprise, we have invited the CEO because that's how we roll. We don't we don't invite the little people. We invite the big dogs, the CEOs. So Kumar Goswami is here. Uh, hi, Kumar. Hello, how are you doing? Doing well. So Kumar, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, a little bit about Comprise and how to reach you on social media. Okay, yeah. So uh, this is Comprise. We're a, a data management uh, company focused on ma- uh, managing massive, uh, data at massive scale. Um, we were founded in, uh, in, in the 2014 uh, um, and I've been actually working with NetApp for quite some time. So our inception of doing at NetApp Insight. Um, and basically what we do is um, uh, take care of, you know, be able to take a look at the kind of data that you have, especially working on uh, file servers, um, determine how much data you have, how fast it's growing, how much you're paying for managing that data, and being able to transparently move that data to, for example, other uh, NetApp devices or, or cloud or whatever the customer may uh, may require in order to be able to better manage that data cost effectively. Um, my social point, I guess, is um, at Kumar K. Deswabi. Um And if you go look, it's, it's brand new. I'm not exactly uh, a Twitter fan, if you will. Okay. So no pictures of cats to retweet yet? No, not yet. <laughs> okay. You need to get on that. A rather polished, a rather polished picture of me, which is which I'm not so keen about, but anyway. Yeah, we need we need to have more cats, so get on that. Um, so Comprise is a data management software, and you're talking about moving data around. Um, and we kind of have that same philosophy here at NetApp with the data fabric. So if you could give us a little bit of background of how the data migration or the data movement works with the with the Comprise software. You know, one, one of the things is that, you know, and this is, by the way, this is a third startup, and it's the same team set of founders, uh, me, uh, Krishna, and Mike, all of us uh, met at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. And, you know, when we came down here to the Valley, we began, you know, the, the startup people got a hold of us. And one thing that we do when we do a startup is we, you know, draw up the ideas on a napkin and go out and talk to our potential customers, CIOs and director of IT, director of storage. And so we went up and said, hey, look, I, I know you guys are all drowning in data. I uh, hear some ideas that we have on how to manage it. And one of the things that we came away with was, one, uh, we don't even know how much data we have. Tell us how much we have, you know, um, you know what's, what's being used, what's not being used, what kinds of data, how big are they, who are the top users, things like that. 
But then they also said, uh, you know, and I think that's what you're driving at, don't just give me information. Uh, may, allow me to be able to do something with it. So the idea was that, okay, so if you tell me I've got a bunch of cold data, can I move it? Um, and so they talked about being able to do these things transparently without disrupting the user, without disrupting the application, and making it easy for the IT manager. But they also brought up another thing. Guys, we have you know, expensive, high-end NetApp file servers. I don't want you in front of that. I don't want you managing my hot data. I don't want you managing my metadata. I don't want you using my control data to get to my data. And if you fail, I better still be able to access all the data that you move. And, and still, we had a couple of those meetings, and that shaped uh, the foundation of how we do things. So we have a solution where we're not in the hot data path, not in the metadata path. We don't even have a metadata server. We use a fundamental file system construct uh, of, of typical file servers that are out there to be able to move the data and then be able to transparently access that data, whether it be, say, for example, on NetApp E-Series or NetApp Storage Grid. Uh, and we do that by using constructs like symbolic links, which you know, are now supported by both SMB SIFs as well as NFS. Okay, so you basically are redirecting the data with a symbolic link. Does the symbolic link live on the source? Or does it live on the destination, like the E-Series or whatever? Where, where does that data actually go? It resides actually on the source. Again, you know, the source, the, you know, if a customer bought some good primary storage, they trust it, they believe in it, and, you know, and that's where we keep everything. So we are a data company. We're not a storage company. We maintain the symbolic thing. So imagine that there's a particular, you have a policy. You can set policies with our stuff saying, move everything that's more than uh, a year old to NetApp E-Series from my NetApp fast. Let's say that's, that's what you have. So then you run this thing, and ours is an ongoing process that's constantly kind of looking through the NetApp path, um, looking for data that has become one year old or older, and it would then move that data, let's say, to NetApp E-Series, and leave behind a symbolic link um, to that data. So it looks almost exactly the same, um, and with no agents or whatever, the user would go in and look at this and say, oh, here's my you know, two gigabyte you know, data or whatever click on it, and when they click on it, the symbolic link points to us. We then have, of course, you know, these tables and things to figure out where we stuck it, and we're always on a NetIP series, we go and bring that back. We cache it and bring that back. We don't rehydrate it, uh, so therefore the user can use it, and if you use it occasionally, it's cached in our cache, and it stays on the E series. If, on the other hand, and these are policies they can specify, they start banging away on it heavily, uh, then we can rehydrate it back onto the source. Okay, so you guys are kind of a middleman with the data, right? You bring it back in case you need to access it real quickly, and then you put it back and flush the cache essentially after it's been exhausted, right? Yeah, and the way I like to say it is that when you're moving the data, it's like a highway going to your E-Series and a country lane coming back because you know, typically for moving things that are a year old or two years old and so forth, there should not be a, a lot of access of that data again. So does this act as a disaster recovery or a data protection type of thing, or does it, you know, does it have a different use case in mind? So there are a couple of things that we do. One is, again, is being able to archive, and I call it a live archive, a transparent archive of, of old data, uh, so that you know, when it's moved, the users have no clue it got moved, and that makes it possible for IT administrators to, to leverage it very easily, number one. Number two, um, a lot of our customers also use it to copy data. It's an ongoing copy of data 
to again some other uh, other uh, storage device or the cloud for disaster recovery purposes. Um, and you know, so you can place our observer, which is a virtual appliance, in some other location in another part of the country and be able to access that data and be able to bring that down in the event of a disaster. That's so the second use case. And the third use case is migration. So imagine, again, you, you, you brought in a new NetApp you know, a flash fast, um, and you've got, let's say, the customer has a bunch of NetApp 7, they want to migrate, they can migrate the data from NetApp 7 to the NetApp, you know, the new, new NetApp SaaS, and off they go. So those are basically the three use cases, the typical use cases that we see. Okay. So how does, uh, how does you know, what differentiates Comprise from your competitors? I mean, what does it do differently that others don't? First and foremost, um, a lot of the competitors out there do not provide a level of what I call aggregate analytics. So imagine that in, in our stuff, it's a software-only solution to be up and running in about 15 minutes, and instantly, it provides you information about all the data that you have. And, you know, and think of it like a kind of a camera lens. You know, so you might have 10 petabytes of data, you might have 10 bytes of data. Um, what we do is we give you a quick access of what we've learned, and then think of the camera lens that is like, you know, as you focus, it, oh, yeah, that is just an after all. You know, initially, it's kind of foggy, right? So we kind of give you that information so we can operate on that right away. Um, and then over time, we give you the exact information. That's one. Now, with that analytics, we also give you things like a cost model, and we can give you return on investment and, you know, allow you to do capacity planning. So we can tell you how fast your data is growing, what kind of data is growing fast, who's growing it. We can tell you how much money you would save in backup licenses um, and, and as well as storage costs if you were, let's say, moving it from a fast series to, let's say, an E-series, because guess what? You know, about easily 50% of your data is, is has not been accessed in over a year. That's what we're finding. Um, so we, we do those sorts of things. In addition to that, as I mentioned, we don't require any agents on the file servers or on the end clients, um, but, but we don't trump the data. And, and the litmus test here, Justin, is that when you ask any of these competitors is that if your server or your system fails, can you still access the data? Most people will say no. In our case, the answer is yes. And that is fundamentally different. And that allows us to be able to go into very high-end deployments and mission-critical deployments and say, guys, don't worry, it's not going to impact access. Um, so that's, that's another key differentiator. Finally, our solution is a grid. Um, it's a distributed, shared-nothing scale-out grid. So we don't get nervous if you tell us you have 100 petabytes of data because we just simply add more observers, is what we call them, virtual machines, that work as a grid, and they sort of share the work among themselves. And because there's nothing shared, we don't have a central bottleneck and allowing us to be able to expand and be able to support the kind of large uh, scales of data that you might have. Um, I think that, that those are probably the key uh, differentiators that I can think of. So you mentioned that if you go down, you can still access your data, and I'm having a little bit of trouble figuring this out. So... If Comprise goes down, which in Comprise acts as a caching as well as a redirection of symlinks, if that goes down and we can't talk to the back end, how does that symlink know to go from point A to point B without Comprise there to tell it? So we have a thing called the Comprise Access Address. So when those links, those links do not point to any one specific observer um, uh, that pro processes these requests. It points to what is called the Comprise Access Address, 
which in essence is a global address which is monitored by one or more of these observers. Um, and so let's say one of these observers fails, another one takes over or is already there uh, and can take that on. And so that's how we, we avoid the fact that um, uh, we don't have any access issues. And the thing is that, again, all the metadata and everything else that you need to access that stuff to begin with is on that NetApp or on that source file. Does that, does that help answer the question? Yeah, so essentially it's not comprised going down. It's one of the observers. So if, let's say all my observers go down. Then I'm kind of dead in the water, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, as you know, even the NASA systems are single fault tolerance, right? So they can support one thing going down. Obviously, all the computers in Houston goes down. Guess what? They go down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to clarify because I didn't want people to kind of think that there's magic here, right? <laughs> there's still technology underlying. Yeah. We still have to kind of respect the boundaries of technology, but I wanted to make that yeah. clear. Exactly. So what we are doing is we're making sure it's tolerance a single fault. Uh, of course, when a single fault happens, your dashboard's quickly notified, you get an alert, and, you know, you want to get to it and fix it before a second fault, uh, which is called, you know, a dependent fault takes place. And I'm guessing you replicate these addresses across multiple observers, right? Oh, yes, and that's the whole idea. That's where a lot of the patents and the and the complexity is, and how to make sure that these guys, are multiple of these guys, are watching it. And you know, and also the other thing that we do is that we, you know we divide up these shares among these observers, and since we maintain a cache, we try to make sure that your request always goes to the observer that has that thing cached, so that we can improve performance and so forth. You know, and, and by the way, because I'm yeah yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is NAS only, not, no SAN involved here? So we don't care if it's a SAN, so long as there's a NAS head in front. So basically the protocols that we speak are NFS, SMB SIFs, um, you know, to, to be able to access that data and to analyze that data and be able to move that data or copy that data. Um, and then, of course, we can copy it, move it to a NAS or to an object store or to a cloud. And, and when we do that, you can still access all of it to the source file as if it were on the NAS. You could even come to Comprise directly and access, let's say, the storage grid, NetApp storage grid, to Comprise as if it were NFS or SIF, SMB, and see a hierarchy, the folder hierarchy that is exactly that was there in, on the source file. Yeah, but, I mean, it's, it's source. the source has to be NAS, but the destination can be anything. It doesn't care about the destination, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so long as we, you know, and we speak basically REST S3 to these sort of object stores and clouds. So with Comprise, am I able to access my data through REST S3, or can it, does it always have to be through NFS and SIFs? So today, um, if you ask if it is through NFS and SIFs, um, and if you're going, if, the, the reason for that is that if it's in the cloud or if it's on storage grid, you can use storage grid to access it using REST S3. You don't necessarily need to use us. Um, um, and so that's why we've left it that way. And actually, some folks are using us in the cloud um, to access data to NFS and SIFs so that when they move the application to the cloud, uh, they don't necessarily have to, um, uh, they don't have to change the application. Okay. So since you're using NFS and SIFs, which are, you know, pretty standard protocols, I would imagine that your source doesn't have to be a NetApp. It can be in any storage system that you want. And ideally, you would point everything to something that's NetApp-powered, right? So if, like, let's say I'm running competitive systems and I'm looking for a way to migrate off those eventually, or I, but I need to front-end them for now, I could stick a comprise in there and potentially redirect all that traffic to NetApp stuff, um, potentially, right? Yeah, 
Exactly. You, you, yeah, exactly. You got it exactly. And in fact, in fact, that's why we also partner with NetApp. In many cases, we're moving uh, you know large amounts of data to storage grid. Uh, we actually have a customer, PackBio, a genomic company, actually that you know that they, they run on. Um, in this case, they also run on NetApp Fast, but they bought a whole bunch of NetApp E series. Um, and, and are moving, and they've moved almost, I think, half a petabyte already to, um, uh, to a petabyte of data from the, the FAS uh, to the E-series using, using compliance. But we're in many deals where we're actually migrating, we brought up the fact about migrating, turning off old um, uh, uh, competitive vendors' NASs and moving the data to uh, NetApp FAS. And, and theoretically, if I had a SAN on the front end, right, I could set up a SIF share or an NFS export to that particular LUN and pull the data out that way too, right? That is correct. And that's what a lot of people are doing. Um, and that way, that's what we're saying. We can work with, a, you know, we work with a NAS. If you have a SAN, put a NAS head or, as you mentioned, something that will run top SIFs or NFS or SMB to us, and we're fine. You mentioned PacBio and how they're migrating off of a FAST system and taking that same, you know, SIFS NFS data access, but doing it from an E-series system. So is there a, a performance impact? Is there a feature impact that's happening there, right? Going from FAST, which is robust data management, snapshots, replication, et cetera, uh, you know, to, to an E-series system, which doesn't necessarily have all of that. So here's what's happening, guys. So this is a genomic company, and they are growing data in leaps and bounds. And each of the new instrumentation is like creating each each experiment is, has three times more data than than the, the, the previous instrument. So they are actually buying not only phases but also E series. And in what they're doing is saying, look, I can't keep everything on my FAS. So even though they're buying more FAS, they can't have 100% FAS. It's too expensive. So they bought like a petabyte of E series and are moving anything. I don't recall what the exact policy is. I'm just going to say it's anything that's more than two years old um, to the E series. So what happens then is that those are you know, data because it costs about thirty to forty thousand dollars per experiment. They, it's data that they cannot lose and they do not want to lose, and but it's typically not that hot data. So the hot data still stays on FAS. The stuff that they're working on right now is staying on FAS and they're leveraging the advantages that FAS provides. And then when you know the project is over or what have you, then it automatically over time without the user having to do anything moves over to the E-series. Now, if for any reason they say, oh my God, I got to work on it, they can do, you know, they can either access it from the source or they could even bulk recall it back to the FAS and off they go again. So this way, they get the advantages of both, uh, both of these product lines. And in this case, in fact, buyer, they're using E-series. In other cases, they're using storage grid, for example. Gotcha. So, so that makes sense. So we were able to tear off data from, you know, maybe a, a high performance system to a lower performance system or, or high cost to low cost, depending on any, uh, is, is age the only piece of metadata or, or are there other things, other uh, qualities about that data that we can query and then make those tiering decisions based off of? Yeah. So, um, no, it, it isn't just uh, age. Um, you can, you can also have, you know, there's all sorts of, uh, uh, policies where you can specify specific users, specific folders, um, you know, specific file sizes, and things like that. What we're going to be coming up with is where you can create a custom policy, you know, something that is on that file server that has such and such file type or whatever, whatever you want to make up, 
and put that as a policy and we'll move it uh, according according to that you know okay so what about snapshots and the backups and the primary storage and as, as well as the storage efficiencies like how are they treated yeah so what happens is it's completely uh, transparent to the snapshots and so forth so in other words let's say you know people uh, customers always ask for that and in fact a very large um, you know, Ivy League, a well-known Ivy League school, um, you know, uh, you know, again, Zeta, um, and uh, wanted to make sure that when we move that data, the symbolic links that are there, that they, 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 take, they take snapshots of it. Um, if they want to, re- you know, if they want to be able to revert back from that snapshot that everything works, and of course it does, it's completely transparent to all of those snapshots and so forth. And in fact, we actually leverage the NetApp snapshot facility, uh, you know, to be able to do some of these moves um, and be able to move and, and copy data so that it's a point-in-time copy. So long story short, I, I think we work, work um, you know, synergistically with all these other uh, features and, uh, and functions of, of NetApp. Um, and again, one of the things I mentioned to you is that some of our customers are, are talking about the fact that, you know, they use SnapMirror. Um, you know, but they'd like another level of VR if you'd like. Um, and so in those particular cases, um, they're using um, our copy feature to be able to copy another, co- you know, a copy of all of the data to some other thing like storage grid, for example, as another insurance policy uh, for VR cases. So you, the SnapMirror use case got me thinking. So if I move data and I have symlinks resting on my source, and then I'm doing a snap mirror to another fast system destination. Those are essentially replicating sim links. So on the destination side, can I access the data from those sim links to the comprise, or is there something else I have to do? You should still be able to access that data because that um, that that sim link should still be pointing. So so long as you can access the observer, okay. So long as you can access the observer. So what happens is. Over there, if you go to another place, you have to change the comprise access address at that place to say, hey, my observers are, are over here, you know. So, therefore, you can have different observers in different sites, and the comprise access address will guide it to the right place. So, I can essentially have a disaster recovery site of observers as well. So, I can have two separate comprise instances to honor the source and destination. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So imagine you have storage grid, you know, and you've got multiple nodes of storage grid that the customers bought across the entire nation. Okay. And so you're moving and copying data from, from let's say, I don't know, New York City, uh, and then you have another installation of observers, let's say in LA. Um, you know, so long as the links, the links will be the same, point to the same storage grid, um, but the car, the comprised access address will be different for each one, uh, and, and you should be golden. Okay. So. You mentioned these are VMs. Is this running on something like ESXi, or is it running on KVM? What's it running on the back end? Um, all three. Okay, so you can do Hyper-V as well? Yeah. Okay, excellent. So you can use the integrated data protection capabilities of those hypervisors to do your disaster recovery for Comprise? I don't, uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't, I don't think we necessarily leverage or use that. I, I, I would need to find out. Okay, so nothing like uh, SRM or anything like that. You can't do any sort of VM replication. I mean, I would imagine this would comprise shouldn't care, right? It shouldn't care. Um, but um, I, I guess, uh, and I guess my, my question is, what are you trying to get at? What would you be able to, to provide with that? Because right now what we have is this notion that we have 
you know, a whole bunch of VMs that we manage uh, to a particular protocol among them. Um, so I guess I'm trying to understand what would you get with this? Right. So just basically failover capability in case a site goes down, right? So let's say we have that scenario where we lose all our observers and we have to bring their observers back up so we have access to our data. So we have a failover site rather than just having a bunch of observers on the other side. Yeah, yeah. So I would have to go make sure that all those specific pieces work, but um, I would think that you should be able to do it. Did I just stump the CEO? Yes. <laughs> the CEO is, uh, uh, you know, is again the CEO, not the, uh, uh, you know, not the uh, file system. That's uh, fine. That's, that's fine. No shame in that. I, I get stumped on a regular basis. Just ask my wife. <laughs> All right, so um, let's talk about F policy. So, does this tie into F policy at all? Do we need it to work? I mean, how does how does F policy work into this? Um, in the case of NetApp, we actually leverage F policy. Um, NetApp handles um, symbolic links in, in different ways on different platforms. F policy provides a consistent way to be able to provide the, the redirection. Do you require F policy, or is that something that's optional? Um, on NetApp NFS, optional. On NetApp SMB, required. Okay, so if I wanted to do something like a NetApp Flex Group, Andrew, I brought that up again. Um, so let's say a Flex Group volume, and I, I don't have F policy support. I could do this comprised solution with a Flex Group with NFS only, but not with SMB currently because you need F policy support. Right. Okay. And what SMB and NFS versions are you supporting currently? I think we support up to NFS 4.2 uh, and the latest SMB as well, SMB 2.0 and higher. Okay. And uh, do you support all the underlying SMB features like CA shares or uh, ODX, that sort of thing? I believe we do, yes. Okay. And I mean, do you leverage... We have, co- we have a doc on all, all the details. I'm oh. not have it all in my head. But okay. Yes. So RTFM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't say that. <laughs> I did. I, I don't have a problem saying that. Um, okay, so uh, as far as um, the SMB piece, um, is there anything special you need to do with the comprise solution? I mean, do you need to join it to a domain? Because does it just leverage what's already there within the NetApp? Yeah, uh, it depends on the environment, to be honest with you, Justin, because different people have set these domains up in different ways. Um, and so... Uh, I, I, that's not, uh, you know, but again, typically you don't have to do very much. We need to be able to be a domain, a, a domain user. Um, and once we're a domain user, and, and again, what it takes to become a domain user depends on environment. environment. Uh, once you have that, the rest is fine. Okay. Makes sense. All right, Kumar. So this sounds great and all, but how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> uh, look, uh, Basically, uh, we're working at where, where it's about half a penny a, a gigabyte, you know, especially for moving uh, in a petabyte of data. Um, but, the, you know, actual price depends on what you're doing and so forth. But, but then, yeah, I think of it as a half a penny a gigabyte. A hay penny? Half a penny. A hay penny. You, you don't remember the hay pennies from old England? No, I don't know. <laughs> so so in, England, in England, they used to have half a penny, and it was called a hay penny. The more you know. <laughs> I never would have thought you were a numismatist there, Justin. Wow. Big word, Andrew. <laughs> you want some meds there? Is that this is what's happening? Your, your vocabulary is enhancing because of all the drugs you're on right now? 
Yeah, maybe. I got to take every advantage I can get. Or are you just over there thumbing through the thesaurus to try to stump me? Well, when I'm not a uh, when I'm not in the studio, that means I am sitting in front of a computer. So, thesaurus.com. There you go. I I usually Urban Dictionary, but um, Kumar, uh, I you you guys mentioned something about seventy percent cost savings. Can you walk me through how that works? Yeah, it's 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 a weighted average. <laughs> Think of it this way: imagine if uh, you know, uh, sorry, I don't know someone between fifty to seventy eighty percent of your data is cold, and you define one as cold within a year old, two years old, six months old, and imagine that you could move that to. Uh, um, some other data storage device that say one third the cost. If you just do the math, you, you I don't know what number you're using. Know, depends on how much data you have and what those cost structures are. You'll easily get, you know, anywhere between fifty to ninety percent cost savings. Okay, sounds pretty fantastic there. Um, so. If I wanted to get a hold of yeah. something, so if I wanted to get a hold of Comprise or I wanted to get a demo or a trial or I just wanted to start using it, how would I go about that? Yeah. So if you send an email to netapp at comprise.com, um, we can have somebody talk to you about it and give you a demo and walk you through it. It's really quite cool to look at it, you know. And it's very interactive. So all those things I talked about, the return on investment, the cost, and things like that, you can actually interactively play with it and add shares, subtract shares, and you can slice and dice and say, hey, for this group of shares, what's happening? For my whole data center, what's happening? What's happening for that specific individual share? You can see all of that kind of analysis, and not to mention capacity planning, uh, because we also give you charts and graphs that show you, hey, based on prior trends, uh, how fast you're growing your data. You get to get to do all of that. I think it would be a cool demo. And again, it's netapp at comprise.com. Okay, and when we talked about price earlier, you mentioned a half a penny a gigabyte. Is it a license-based pricing, or is it seats, or is it you know? Are you actually doing capacity pricing? Yeah. So it's first of all, it's a good question. Question. We provide both okay, a subscription license uh, as well as a perpetual license, depending on what 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 you want and what you need. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's essentially um, a, a capacity pricing. I also imagine I could find more information at Comprise.com, of course, right? I mean, that's yeah, no, yeah, no yeah, brainer yeah. there. Uh, and uh, Kumar, we can reach you at uh, Kumar K. Goswami on Twitter and also yeah. at Comprise for the official corporate Twitter account. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Kumar Goswami for joining us today. Uh, he's from Comprise. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.